The Radio Essentials Podcast. A podcast about radio with your host, James Marriott. Hello and welcome to the Radio Essentials Podcast. It is June 2022 and hopefully as you listen to this, the sun is shining the world is a good place. I'm James Marriott. Thank you for joining us. Um, as ever, we are joined by a guest from the big wide world of the wireless. And this is not a phrase that I use lightly, but I'm going to use it now. It is a radio legend, if I may say so. Please welcome Richard Allenson. How, how do you feel? Radio legend, are you all right with that? Well, is, is that one step on from stalwart? <laughs> Just before, because we used to be. Um, by the way, hello, James, and thank you for inviting me onto this. Um, it's. I don't know. I've just been doing this for as long as I can because no one's sussed me yet. And <laughs> as you know, there is no better way of earning a living than you know talking to yourself when you're locked in a padded room and given a microphone and some buttons to press. But this, it for some strange reason, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm still doing this for a living so i'm obviously blessed some way so um if if that is the stuff of legend then i'll i'll, I'll i won't disagree with you on that one so i always think legend is better than veteran isn't it like ve- veteran yeah. is an awful an awful phrase. well no that that's the one that comes afterwards because they, they can't get rid of him now <laughs> he just won't go and- I also love that description, which so many people use, and it's accurate, isn't it? That you know, in, in radio, what we do is we sit in a room by ourselves in a padded room and talk to ourselves. So you know, the you know, being a radio presenter and just outright insanity are so close. Like the the, the overlap there is ridiculous. I think I first used it when my um, my old university gave me an honorary thing about twenty odd years ago, and they said. Um I, I had to actually explain what I was doing. And I said, look, if, if anybody had said you're going to be locked in a padded room for two hours a day and you talk to yourself and you have conversations with people you imagine, then the people with those jackets that do up the back, they're not too far away. One of my neighbours is a psychologist and um, she says, we, we talk to people who do what you do all the time, but they're not employed. <laughs> you know, it's not legitimised. And so you think that either, either people, because do we know if anybody's actually listening to this? We are told that we're connected to transmitters and, and feeds and servers and things. But I, I, I had this image that maybe it's just a very, very extended branch of care in the community. And for a couple of hours a day, they're just keeping us off the streets, telling us that we're gainfully employed in delivering audiences to advertisers. It's a Hopefully I'm theory. wrong, but yeah. It's it's a brilliant thing. <laughs> Richard, there's, there's so much that I want to get through and, and talk about with you, but we do always start the podcast with a quick round of the Radio Classic Celebrity Birthdays. You know how this works. There's four people. They all have a birthday in June. All you need to do is work out whether or not their age is higher or lower than the last person. It's just for fun. Um, right. So we, we, we need a starting point. So yes. um, your starting point, this person celebrating their birthday on the 19th of June. I think fair to say a divisive figure. It is the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. This is the tricky one because you, 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 you haven't got a starting point. So um, any rough guesses on what you reckon might be the age of Boris Johnson? He's, is he late 50s? Okay, I'll go for 58. I think... You are the first person ever to guess their age absolutely correctly. He indeed will be 58 on the 19th of June. This is a brilliant start. This is going to be a clean sweep. I can feel it. We've never had one before. We've never had anyone that gets the age right and then and then the other three. So it actually gets well, easier from this point. You've only got to go higher or lower. Right. I mean, are we opening a book on whether he's going to make it to 59? <laughs> we <laughs> well, as we as we record this, this week he's been quite famously pictured running across a beach, hasn't he, at the Conservative Party conference in Blackpool where he went out for a jog. Um, and, I mean, look, some people slag off social media, but the things that I've seen people do with the video footage of <laughs> Boris Johnson running down yes. the beach, set to the music of Baywatch, set to the music of all kinds of things, has been just brilliant. He'll scare he, the donkeys. He doesn't, he doesn't look entirely comfortable running. That's all that, you know, that... That's my kind of point of, um, of of this week. I have a theory that he runs home to the camera, but then he gets in a cab, goes around the corner, gets in a cab, round the block, and gets out of the cab again, and then runs back because he never looks like he's you know drawing sweat or anything. I think your theory could be right. It's a good theory. So we're at fifty-eight then with Boris Johnson, and next you have actor and singer 
Jason Donovan. His birthday, the 1st of June. In fact, he's very famously been in the news quite recently as well because for the first time ever, Jason Donovan went and got um, a kebab from the Jason Donovan, which yes. I think is in, is it Swindon or Bristol? Something um, something like that. Glorious moment. And I think humanity has peaked at this, at this point. <laughs> but yeah, so 1st of June, are you going higher or lower than 58 for Jason Donovan? I'm going lower, but not much lower. Can't lower. fault you there. 54 so yeah pretty much spot on bit lower kids very good kids very good. 54 this is a tricky one now so we're actually staying in the world of acting and you've got mark Wahlberg. so he's been in all kinds of films hasn't he he was in the remake of the italian job i remember that all kinds of stuff that he's um been in his birthday is the 5th of june so you're at 54 this is hard higher or lower for mark Wahlberg? and it is either higher or lower it's not equal isn't it it's not equal. That would right. be just cruel, wouldn't it? This is yeah. This is the, the he's got an insane workout regime. He's going to damage himself with that workout regime. <laughs> he says, looking he's at ripped, what appears to be muscles. That's the yeah. phrase, or something like that. Um, I think he's slightly higher. You're going higher. Mm. Mark Wahlberg on the fifth of June, fifty-one. Unfortunately, get he's away. There goes your clean sweep, James. I was getting excited as well for for a moment. Thought we were gonna thought we were gonna do it, but um, listen, how long have you been doing this? Not to be, not to be. Well, this is episode uh, this is episode eleven, so okay. um, it will happen one day. It will happen one day. You've got one more then. See whether or not you can get you know the gold star. Maybe not the clean sweep, but the gold star. Um, and we are in the world of singing. Um, mm-hmm. She was an American Idol judge, I think, Paula Abdul, nineteenth yes. uh, of June. We're at 51, higher or lower for Paula Abdul? Higher. You sound very certain about that, and you are right to say higher. It's actually her 60th this year, so um, you know, ha- happy birthday to Paula Abdul, um, turning 60 on the 19th of June. So, um, I mean, pretty, you, you get, uh, I kind of feel like, you know, at school where you used to get, everyone had their name on the wall, and you get gold stars for things that they do. Like, you get a giant gold star for the fact that you guessed Boris Johnson exactly. <laughs> Nobody likes a smart ass. I found in in broadcasting. So uh, thank you. I'll accept the I'll accept the gold star gracefully and quietly. Let's let's get on to the interesting stuff then. Let's talk about um, let's talk about radio. Let's talk about you, Richard. Um, tell me, I, I love asking this question first of all. So, um, what was that moment where the stars aligned and and you just knew that radio was what you wanted to do? Oh, good. There've been quite a few moments actually. I I remember listening to the radio when I was about probably in nappies but we moved we moved house a lot I, I think my dad was on the run but we moved house a lot and we had um stuff got damaged in the move and so there was a, an old valve radio that my mum had been given and she never chucked it away so I played with it and the case was cracked so at the back I'd turn it on and through the hole in the back of the case, I could see the valves getting warm and right. glowing red. And it, this would take about 20 seconds. And then a woman's voice came out. And, I th- and, and the woman's voice was related to the things I could see warming up. And I thought, well, where's this voice coming from? And my dad tried to explain radios and stuff. And so I was just captivated by somebody was talking to me through this spot box. It was a bush valve radio. And there was a box that sat on the table and somebody was talking to me through it and I thought well what's this and then I remember listening to Tony Blackburn kick off Radio 1 and then I thought I've told this story before as well but I did not think that Tony Blackburn was the voice I heard coming out of the radio I thought Tony Blackburn sat behind a desk with a little nameplate saying Tony Blackburn on it and he was handing the broadcaster the discs that he would then play and then I suddenly sussed that it, this really was Tony Blackburn with Arnold the dog saying all these things and doing all this stuff. In the meantime, of course, I'd grew up listening to David Jacobs and then Alan Freeman doing Pick of the Pops. And that was about the only time on the radio. I think David Jacobs, I mean, we're going into black and white here. We're going into the 1960s. David Jacobs was allowed, I think it was about 45 minutes for a show called Midday Spin, where he would play contemporary records, you know, pop hits going to school meant I missed that 
But then um, 1967, we had Radio 1, Radio 2, Radio 3, and Radio 4, because beforehand we'd only had three services. At three, <laughs> three on the radio. I don't think I did ITV. Yeah, BBC Two hadn't started, so there was only BBC One and ITV, and that was it on telly. And so I just I was fascinated by it, and I went to university, and the studios of University Radio Bailrig were in my college at Lancaster University, and I went in there and I said, um, "This looks like fun," and they said, "Yeah, great, come back, and we'll um, you know we have new DJs coming every year, so." There's a slot for them. And I went in one night, because it was just opposite the bar, and I went in to say hello, and the guy coming on saying, oh, hi, Um, this is handy because in 15 minutes' time, it's the new DJ show, 7 o'clock on a Thursday night or something, and the new DJ hasn't turned up. Do you want to go? And so I said, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah. Now... I have to confess that when I was 13 with two friends, we started a mobile disco. And by the time we were 18, uh, one of the friends had disappeared. Um, but there was Paul and myself, and we had quite a big rig around Birmingham, Solihull, the Midlands. And we were doing lots of gigs, which is why I dropped a couple of points on my A-levels and um, ended up going through clearing to get to Lancaster. And I walked into the studios of URB on 312, and they said, do you want to do this thing? Pick some records for an hour and do a show. I said, what about? Um, and so the first song I picked was I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton because um, there was no intro. So all I had to say, hello, and let the turntable go. And it started. And then I had about three and a half, four minutes to think of what else I was going to say after that. <laughs> and this sort of carried on for about an hour. And at the end of it, the guy said, great, uh, do you want to come back tomorrow? And I said, yes, in this pool of perspiration and shivering and and this complete (laughs) wreck that I was. And I thought, this is all right. And I went back to the bar to have a couple of beers with the mates in my college. And um, two girls came down and said, did we just hear you? on?" And everybody was new at the time because, you know, lectures hadn't started. This was like week one, Freshers' Week. And um, they said, did we just hear you on the radio? Yeah, we were tuning in because there's a radio station. And Lancaster also had a TV station and, you know, student magazines and stuff. So it was sort of media savvy in the very late 70s. And um, that was it. And when I had a regular radio show on on the station, the first time I did it, it was on a weekend in the afternoon. And I spent all day nervous you know plotting it trying to plan out what to do and stuff so after three years playing on that um that was when <laughs> i've forgotten your question but it was when the bug bit <laughs> the first one was listening to daphne oxenford on the light program because valves got red and then the second one was alan freeman third tony blackburn and then the bug really bit me when i, I suddenly sat there and heard my voice coming through headphones Amazing. and mixing it in with music and stuff like that and it was like hello there's um this is actually quite tricky to get right and then i thought "Mm, this is fun i like this it's interesting this because um we've i don't think we've had many guests on the podcast so far who've got to the point of going to university like most of them have maybe got as far as going to sixth form and then something happens an opportunity comes up somewhere and they drop out and and you know they go off and and kind of work in 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 radio am i right in thinking that when you were at university that you were were you studying law were you quite close to a career in law i wanted to be um they call it startups now, but I wanted to do mergers and acquisitions. And, and what I was, what I enjoyed doing at A levels was economics. So the major was economics, but at Lancaster it was a modular degree. So you did other modules along there. So I did a couple of law modules, a lot of marketing, a little bit of accounting and finance, which I wasn't very good at. And um, but mainly economics uh, because I could write reasonably decent essays. And most, as any economist will tell you, it's. Um, Assume everything is held constant and then make a few predictions on this. But never say, never tell anybody what's going to happen because economies don't behave like that. A bit like radio audiences. You know, you, <laughs> never, ever, ever. The only thing I know about radio audiences is that they will always behave entirely differently to however you predict they are going to behave. 
And so, yes, and it, it, when I got to Capital, it was a bit, it, it, I felt a bit like a novelty because I said, oh, God, you got a degree, bloody college boy. Um, there was that reaction. There was the, the, the people that ran it said, well, um, he may have a slightly broader outlook in certain areas. Poor misguided fools, because basically <laughs> I was straight from school. At least all the other people um, I was working with had had some sort of life experience, but I was 21 years old, and um, it was it was a novelty at the, at the time in 1980 for somebody to have a um, a university degree and be playing pop music apparently, but um, some people took it more seriously than others. But no, it was it was I, I just jumped in because there was an opening. What what was it like then? Kind of going doing those three years at university. If if you're you know you've already done that that first show on the on the student radio station, and your head's already kind of leaning towards thinking, I really like radio. Obviously, it's a degree that's kind of like it, it's a long way away from anything to do with um, you know media and entertainment, isn't it? What what was that like? Or, or did you get to the end of your degree and and still kind of like at that crossroads and a bit torn and thinking, which of these directions do I really want to go in? Well, it was the f- I was in my final year and there's only really two terms in your final year because then the third term is all your finals and you've 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 had all the interviews for jobs and I was I was quite chuffed because I was going to join Lucas's in London and I was going to be marketing fuel injection systems yes and the best thing about this was I was going to get paid seven and a half thousand pounds a year and my company car was going to be a 2.8 injection Capri which was better than even the professionals drove you know, Martin, whatever his name was, forget now. <laughs> and I'm that's thinking, that's okay, yeah. And I'm thinking, and I'm in London. I'd never been to London before. And mm-hmm. so I just said, okay, I'm going to send some demos off. And I sent demos to everybody pretty much, but um, the BBC and Capital and Radio Luxembourg, as it was then, because I thought that's just a waste of time. So I did this in the second term after I'd got the job offer from uh, Lucas's and uh, heard nothing. I sent about a dozen off and heard nothing, not even a rejection, not even a thanks, but see you, bye. And so I thought, forget it. And then I finished my finals and I was thinking, uh, I'm going to move to London. This will be great. And then somebody said, Dave Cash is leaving Capital. Send them a tape. I said, don't, I've only got the master, my little air checks. And he said, no, 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 send them a tape because... They need someone. So I sent them a tape. And three days later, Tim Blackmore's on the phone. Tim Blackmore was the head of music. I'd sent him the tape. And so three days later, I'm in their office. They said, well, why don't you do overnights for five weeks? And I thought, great, I'll I'll make tea. You know, I'll be the tape op. I just want to get my foot in the door and see what it's like. And then about a week later, they phoned up and they said, look, forget overnights. And I went, ugh. How about doing the chart show on a Sunday afternoon? What? And so in, I think it was August the 9th, I did um, the UK Top 30 on a Sunday afternoon. And I was only meant to be there for five weeks. And 17 years later, I left and joined Radio 2. And 17 years after that, I left and joined Magic. And I've just joined Greatest Hits. And so now, and Scala, and now we're talking. And how did that happen, James? I don't know. So that's how I got here. Can you still remember that that first time sat in the studio at Capital, ready to go with that top 30 show? Yeah. You still remember the, the feelings and what was going through your head? and Yeah, vividly, because I wasn't as nervous as I was before my first university radio show and that worried me my palms were sweating like crazy and I was slightly concerned that I was going to electrocute myself with (laughs) wet palms on the desk I don't know whether that works but uh, I was I, I didn't have the bowel clenching gripes that I used to get and that was sort of slightly concerning. And I'm thinking, well, I should, I should be really nervous here. And I wasn't. And after the first link, I closed the microphone. And it's a chart show, so there's not a lot of opportunity for you to have a conversation with somebody. You're just presenting a bunch of records in an order. Mm-hmm. And so um, it teaches you that 
actually counting from 30 down to one is not the easiest job in the world. <laughs> and playing records in a particular order and starting them at a certain time is a bit like splitting the atom. And how did this become so difficult? At the end of it, it was one of those collapse in a small heap things. And those are the days when Capital had um, broadcast engineers, you know, balance engineers, like the BBC still has occasionally studio managers. And so you, you, you drive the desk in the studio, but they balance everything and throw in the ads and make sure everything's properly mixed. The guy who was running it, his, his name was Ed, and he said at the end of it, he just said, that was great, I enjoyed that. And I thought, well, here's a guy, here's a guy who does this all his life. And if he enjoyed it, then maybe that was quite lucky. <laughs> because normally they go, oh, same old records, yeah, yeah. Peak at five, don't over-mod, too much compression on the mic. Um, but he said, yeah, I enjoyed that. I think, great, what, you enjoyed me perspiring all over the place. But it was just one of those things, and and one of those things that is intensely personal to me because it was me doing it. But everybody else is going, oh, there's just two hours of radio filled. I'm sure. Because that's the other thing that um, you then suddenly realise. The radio never goes quiet anymore. They used to turn it off and it would go quiet and then they'd turn it back on again the following morning. But radio never goes quiet anymore. There's always going to be somebody there who, who can do your job. So I just thought, how can I put my imprint on what is effectively not a personality show? It's, it's, it, it's a chart rundown. Um, the guy who still, I think, wrote the textbook on how to do a chart show is Alan Freeman. Hmm. And he was there for the very first one. And um, he said, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd love to do this for as long as I can. He said, right, this is what you do. You work fucking hard. And this is Alan Freeman, you know, the radio legend, telling me that this is what you do. And the first time I saw him on Capital was you'd walk into the playpen on the first floor of the Euston Tower and there was a, bu a, a listening station with a bunch of turntables and headphones and amplifiers and you could time records and stuff on there and he sat there with a bunch of albums, about 60 cigarettes, massive ashtray, big pot of coffee and he would be timing. He did the rock show every night, four nights a week for two hours and he would sit there from about 11, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning timing everything, writing down his links, writing which piece of classical jingle he'd throw in, how he'd announce the next piece of music. And it took him about six hours to put together this, this two-hour show. And this is Alan Freeman. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. And I thought, he's still doing this now. So, yeah, this is how you do it. You've got to work. You've got All the real work is done before you go into the studio, I think. And he proved that to me. So that's what I did. And that, that's what I still do now. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, move, moving to... I mean, Capital, obviously, is, is a huge is a huge station. Um, moving to Radio 2, which is, you know, it's an institution, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, it's about as, 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 big as, it, as big as it gets. Talk me through that then. How did you, how did you feel about making that, that, that move? I thought that was the right time to do it. Whenever I get a new show or a new position, I'm always thinking, great, now I'm here. What's next? Because, because there's always going to be something that happens next. And I just thought, this was 1997 and Radio 2 had made a few changes. They wanted to refresh certain parts of the day. Because at that stage, they realised that... They called it natural wastage. But they reckoned about a quarter of a million of their listeners just died every year. And they thought, if this trend carries on... Um, we're not going to have, we you know, our audience is going to start significantly declining in numbers terms. So one of the slots they wanted to revise was the 10.30 till midnight late show, which Derek and Ellen Jameson had been doing for about three years. Now, Derek had just come off a, a successful run on The Breakfast Show. And they thought, well, this, half their audience were over 60. So you can imagine half of them were over 70 and widowed. And they wanted to refresh that particular time of the day. So I just thought that we can do something there. Physically, for me, it was an interesting proposition because I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work at Capital. 
and now they wanted to me to go to work at half past ten at night and go to bed about one in the morning. So um, after seven years of early starts, it was more of a, let's see what happens. And I just thought, this is the brand new thing. It's the same thing, but it's it, it had a brand new vibe to it. And I thought, yes, this is uh, this this really fascinates me. One of the things that I want to kind of touch on is how radio as an industry has, has obviously changed a lot over the years, particularly the kind of the last five, ten years we've we've seen it, it, you know big, big changes to it. During your time at, at Radio Two, I'm sure things did change, but you kind of on the on the outside looking in, you kind of see Radio Two as, as sort of being this this steam liner that's just you know it's always heading in a certain direction. Um, what what did change there? How how did you see things change at, at that station? When, because things seem to change all the time. You're right, Steamliner, Juggernaut. Every network at the BBC wants to get younger because. There's an awful lot of parliamentary pressure on them to do that, to be more reflective of the audience as, as frankly, the people in Parliament see it. Because um, every government since about 1926 have been complaining that the BBC isn't doing what it should do. And actually, the BBC probably is doing what it should do. Everybody's got a different opinion upon it. But I do think that it is... In a reasonably civilised and, and developed society, you know, we, we've got sewers and we've got soap and we've got education, a basic road system and occasionally power. And uh, I think a, a national public service broadcaster is, is, is a definite asset, especially something with that sort of... It's 100 years old this year, the BBC, and the depth of experience it has and its archive is, well, it's phenomenal. I think, and, and, and is unique on, on this planet. So Radio 2 always seemed to be changing, but everything happened really quite slowly, so you could sort of predict what was going on. And I think that, to answer your question, it was always there was always talk about stuff, but very, very little happened. Uh, lots of talk, lots of planning, and then just a couple of small changes, and then life carried on. Because if you... When Terry Wogan came off The Breakfast Show, it was this old cliche that that is the end of an era. We will never hear his like again. Ditto Ken Bruce, I suspect, because he's been on and off doing that programme for, is it 34 years, I think? And they, they always find another question to ask on Potmaster. I'm just thinking, sooner or later, they're going to run out of questions to ask on those artists. But... Um, but they they write it every day, and it it's full of those appointments to listen, and it it becomes its own story after a while. If you think of what Steve Wright does, he does a brand new edition of the same show every day, and he's another of the Alan Freeman work ethic guys. I don't know anybody in radio who works as hard as Steve Wright to get that show together, and every it, it's the same one every day, but it's still different. So. You're talking about a juggernaut. It's 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 still on its own path, and it's not as manoeuvrable as maybe a bicycle or an electric scooter. It's a juggernaut, and everybody sort of gets out of its way. But we all sort of we're more nimble, and we're much cheaper, and we're more adaptable. But um, and we sort of have to keep out of its way to a certain extent. This is a bit of a clunky analogy, I know. But um, it's a bit like, you know, the QE2 or the Queen Mary comes into port and all the little boats come around and squirt water and say, oh, hello, big boat's coming in. And the state rooms on the big boat are very nice and lovely, but you don't have to look too far and it's a bit, a bit rusty there and it needs a bit of a touch of paint there. And it's insanely expensive. And on the little boats, you're having much more fun because you're bobbing around and you're much more nimble and agile. But um, I think there's space for everything in the ocean. Here's another clunky analogy, James. You're very good that's, at that's good. sending that's good. me down these paths. Um, but in my own experience, uh, news of change came really quite quickly. Um, we, if, if we're changing this and if we're changing that, you and I was normally the last to hear about it. And then if when we said we want to actually create some programs and, you know, lark around behind a microphone rather than in front of it, um, that happened really quickly as well. So I think 
I think you just have to be in life. You just have to be aware of your surroundings and have a general indication of the direction you might be traveling in. Because whilst we all like to think we're in control of the situation, we're not always 100%. One of the... um... One of the trends that that seems to have become a thing in 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 radio, and, and I mention this because I think particularly at Radio Two, is this move towards I'm going to do floppy bunny ears as I say this celebrity radio presenters, and I'm interested in asking you about this because is is there is there still a path for someone who is just a radio presenter who's really good at their craft to kind of make their way onto Radio Two or do you feel um, that, that that path is kind of slipping away a little bit? I think it always did. I think you have to have a name for yourself on the radio, and I think I was possibly the exception to the rule. I remember when I joined in 97, Johnny Walker and Bob Harris also joined at the same time, and they had a national reputation before on, on Radio 1, both of them, and, and certainly Bob on, on, on Whistle Test before he was on Radio 1, I think. But um, I didn't have a national reputation. I'd been on VH1 TV, but I don't think that overlapped too much um, with the then Radio 2 audience. But they were always doing it. Um, was it John Stalker, who was, I think, d- Deputy Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police? And they brought him on to do a programme during the day for a while. And it, I don't know, he'd, he'd why? What does, a, <laughs> what does a Deputy Commissioner of a police force have with entertaining people in the middle of the day on the BBC and I then met the people who used to produce those programs and they said well he had nothing to say and he couldn't read and he didn't have a very good voice so I'm thinking why so obviously there was all there was always that let's bring somebody in that the audience know I do think as well that a lot of radio programming is quite lazy by default because if you bring in somebody who's well known from television, certainly, then it will work on the radio. Mm. And I think that is underselling the medium of radio only entirely. I think this microphone is a much more analytical instrument than a camera. You can bounce around in front of a TV camera and you can get away with all sorts of idiosyncrasies that people might find annoying in real life. Because on TV, you don't have to engage anything. It's all there. The images and the sound just come out, just soak it up. On the radio, the pictures in the theatre of your mind, I think, are much more colourful because they're entirely, well, the catalyst is the voice and the sound, but the pictures you make are entirely your own, of your own creation. So you don't know what we look like, necessarily. You don't know where we are. And what we can do, and I'm thinking Kenny Everett here, he could take you to outer space and back. He could take you to the traffic lights at the end of the road. He could do all sorts of things with his febrile imagination that you can't do on television. Because if you looked at the te- Kenny Everett TV show, it wasn't as instant and as glorious as his radio shows. So I think um, if you're going to bring celebrity onto the radio, it has to work on the radio. And lots of lots of Chris Tarrant did it on Capital. And when he first started, he thought, radio? What's radio? I'm, I'm, I'm on TV. And then he realised that radio was at least as powerful as television in the right hands. So I don't know. I think it's a short-sighted thing. I know um, Terry Wogan thought it was complete nonsense because if you look at what he did, he made his name on the radio and then he made another name on TV and it was almost like, oh, we'll have him back on the radio because he's now famous on TV as well. Never mind the fact that he started doing the breakfast show on Radio 2 before commercial radio was even on air in this country. I mean, that's how, how far back we're going. Johnny Walker and Bob Harris as well. Johnny hadn't been on TV. He'd been on Radio 1 and before that on Caroline. Bob started on TV and then moved to radio and now they're seen as rightly you know radio giants so i do think that it, it it's an easy option to grab someone famous and plonk them on the radio it doesn't always work so we've touched on obviously your your time at capital and, and at radio two you mentioned earlier about um you know now being at greatest hits radio and and, and you know, radio is obviously amalgamated and lots of things have happened in 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 that time is is the buzz still there now when you're when you're going on on greatest hits radio 
Yeah. It's um, because, well, after the last two years, all the shows I do on Greatest Hits are live. I mean, live, live. I go into a studio and bounce around in a studio. And COVID certainly has meant that, certainly on Magic, we use Zeta or Zeta to go. And it's only live when there's a, a real person at the other end. So on the multi-header shows like Breakfast and on Absolute Radio, you'll get it on Drive Time as well. I think maybe a couple of them on Kiss. Um, they're live, live because they have to be. And if you've tried doing it live-ish, the delays are insane. So it's just not really workable. And when people weren't allowed to move around, um, we would record. And you can record up to about 30 seconds before the link goes out if you're really brave. But it's not the same. And also, you're not in the office where you can have an idea, bounce it around your producers and your colleagues, and in 10 minutes put it on air. So for the last two years, radio hasn't been as live-ish and as immediate in my mind. So getting back into the studio again is, is terrific because then you see the texts and the emails come in and then you see the phones light up. And uh, that's what, how it has always been for me. So the last two years have been a bit of a curveball, really, as far as the immediacy of the medium is concerned. And that, I think if we lose the immediacy of radio broadcasting, then we've lost one of its greatest features and its most unique feature. It's more immediate than online as well. You can have an idea, put it on, on air, and immediately within that next song, you've got a response. And I don't know any other medium like that. It's remarkable, isn't it? It really is. I, I want to ask you about the future, and, and there's kind of two prongs to this. So there's the, the, there's the future for Richard, and, and what that has in store, and then you know what what do you feel the future of, of radio looks like on on that bigger scale? <laughs> yeah, if only we knew. Nice, nice um, easy question for you there. Yeah, thanks. Personally, that there will be something at the time of recording. I can't tell you, but by the time this goes out, I will be doing something else as well as Greatest Hits Radio. So. Um, at the moment, it's exciting for me because it's something I haven't done before. But um, as far as the medium is concerned, I think if it is in, if it, if the powers that be allow it to breathe and give it the resources to inhale deeply, then I think the future is rosy. I, for years, I mean re years, people have been predicting the demise of radio broadcasting because podcasts here we are will come along now there's something great about a podcast because you can go back and hear it again and again and again and you can build up a catalog and yep spotify and all the other people who are getting into podcasting great i think they're adding about 40 or 50,000 new podcasts a day to spotify so finding something you want should be quite simple but as anybody knows who's ever tried to navigate this. forget the Dewey Decimal system in the library you know you, how do you find a I want to do something about cookery five million titles come up you can't navigate I can't navigate my brain blows up after about 56 so uh, where are we going to go with that there are still I read a piece of research recently that there's still a handful maybe four or five favorite radio stations that every person has the presets in the car for example and they're their go-to stations everything else you'll get a bundle of podcasts but you won't get millions like there are available and so i think if radio can talk to people as opposed to broadcasting at them and i think if we listen to what comes back because that's part of the conversation you know us speaking is one thing but you have to listen to what comes back i think the future of radio is very very strong i think there should be more diversity in the broadcasting in other words there are there are stations like six music who seem to have this area which is unique at the moment in in contemporary music because there's hardly anybody else doing it on a scale if you can make it work financially I think the future is bright if programmers <laughs> if programmers will trust their talent 
to be able to effectively sell what it is they're broadcasting to the audience they want to attract to their advertisers, I think broadcasting is in rude health, radio broadcasting. There must have been moments in your um, career to date where you've had that kind of at that crossroads or that opportunity to move into programming rather than presenting? Has no. Has it ever been something that you wanted <laughs> no. to do? No. Have you ever dealt with a presenter? <laughs> I mean, who would want to deal with me? Who would... Why? <laughs> and how many of them on a station? And, oh, blimey. Um, yeah. I said, why? What for? <laughs> no. There's a guy called James who works at Bauer, um, and he's he he does the music for Magic and Absolute, and he's sort of head honcho, and he's got a he says it's my way or no way, and he's he's very good at programming music, but I'm just thinking, what else, what else is there in life, you know, apart from programming music, and I'd be hopeless at that. I've got I wake up every morning thinking what am I going to do on the radio today not not the first the first thing is where's the tea but yeah. secondly is what is happening on the radio and I'm a bit of a news junkie because I think you have to know what to avoid um you open you know you don't learn anything by not making mistakes if you did everything perfectly you'd learn nothing and so all the mistakes you make are being indiscreet references to things that maybe f- people would find offensive or maybe litigious first piece of paper i was given before i was given a contract of capital was a piece of a4 on which was covered with words which were either proved to be slanderous slanderous or libelous um don't use these words not even in jest so i could say james you're drunk and you're broke and you could sue me for libel so you don't use it so you, you always have little escape routes i do and so if you know what's going on in the news and you know that if one of your listeners is being affected by that, then you don't want to, you know, poke that particular bear. Then you sort of navigate through a path. Every day is the same, but then every day is different. And I think, yeah, I think me in programming would be, would be, oh no, nightmare. I'd crash the <laughs> That's a Fairly categorical answer. Fairly categorical. Yeah, answer. I can't. I, I can't do that. I, I can just about concentrate for three hours. And that's it. <laughs> what What about um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone that's kind of looking to follow in, in your footsteps and, 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 you know, go on to be a, a radio presenter, what would you say? Go for it. And I don't know how you go for it. I, I would send off tapes. One of my sons is an actor and he said the last couple of years he hasn't been doing any acting. And so he sends off self-tapes, which are okay, but then it's still not the same as actually getting in front of someone and talking to them. And and we hardly ever get in front of our audience, but we still have that conversation. So if you can articulate a proposition in a warm manner on the radio, and if your mouth doesn't make annoying noises, and if you don't have annoying phrases, going back to what we were saying about the, the microphone being a more analytical instrument than a, than a camera... If you can get it over just with a voice, like you're whispering in someone's ear, then I think you've probably got it. But as far as getting a job on the radio is concerned, I think you just have to make yourself a pain in the ass to every scheduler and editor in the country. And you just have to keep on phoning them up. That's a great way of phrasing it. Because they are incredibly busy. They work insane hours. Then they're, They're always available on the phone, in my experience. And they are, you meet so many people who work in radio as programmers who that is their life. And they are, and in the, the product is an intrinsic part of all their planning and their selfless devotion um, for which they, they, for which they need a huge reward. Be a pain in the arse, I think, is my favourite advice that we've had so far on the uh, on, <laughs> Well, that's what, on the podcast. That's thing. what, if I may name drop again, James, that's what John Peel told me when he came to play records at university. Um, and he was paid about £400 to stand on stage. And um, he didn't even cue them up. 
he just played records that nobody could really dance to, the records he would play on his Radio 1 show. And we just, there was about 500 of us in the Great Hall. And we, no one really danced. We just stood there watching him. And this man said, oh, you might like this. And then he had a glass of beer and put a needle on a record and, and then the song started. And then he finished and said, right, um, um, here's a band from around the corner there from Liverpool and played that. And we just all stood there. And he did this for an hour <laughs> and took a load of money and went home. Um, but before that, he, he, he came to the radio station and we interviewed him. And then he took us to the bar, bought us all a drink, and then walked down and did the gig. And it was really bizarre. And he said, you've just got to make yourself a pain in the ass to every programme controller in the country and keep on sending them tapes. So um, I sent a bunch of them tapes. Nothing happened. And then I sent one more tape and that happened. So I was just dead jammy, I think. Brilliant. So, I mean, we've got great advice there. We've talked about um, your your tremendous career in radio. It seems only right that we finish the show by giving you the opportunity to make yourself look like a complete wally in our award-dodging game, Jock Against the Clock. Jock Against the Clock. Are you ready? <laughs> I haven't heard the word wally for years. Great word. Brilliant great word, word, Wally. Can you get away with Wally on the radio? I think it's And, and not. possibly, I'm about to prove, accurate. <laughs> this is how it works, then. Uh, there are five questions. You've got to answer them as quickly as you can. There is a ten-second penalty for any that you get wrong, and if you get them all wrong, then you're out. Kaput. Hasn't you're taking yet. this very not, seriously, James, aren't you? It's not going to happen today. We had uh, we had a new leader actually um, just a couple of months back, Michelle Dignam, who went top right. of the leaderboard on fifty two seconds. At the opposite end, Dave Cooper from Gadio ninety eight seconds, uh, unfortunately, is still bottom of the pile. So fifty two seconds at the top, ninety eight seconds at the bottom. Give us an idea about where you think your your place within that may be. Uh, see you down there, Dave. <laughs> I've got high hopes for this because um, I think this is a this is a nice set of questions. If I'm honest, good. No pressure. No. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do it then. In three, two, one. Start the clock. Three Lions went to number one in June 1996. Some by the Lightning Seeds and which comedy duo? Oh, uh, um, those two, um, David Baddiel and uh, Frank Skinner. What was banned in public buildings in the UK in June 2007? Smoking. Beyonce's group announced they were splitting up in June 2005. What were they called? Destiny's Child. The 2018 World Cup kicked off on the 14th of June. Which country hosted the tournament? Spain Italy Which festival was held for the first time in June 1971? Glastonbury Stop the clock Jock against the clock Ooh Ooh, 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 ooh How do you feel that went for you, Richard? That was a numb experience, James I think it's smoking. I know it's Destiny's Child. I've no idea. Was it Italy? No, it wasn't. It was France, the World Cup. Um, 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 Skinner and Badil took ages because I can see their faces and I know their names, but I couldn't work my mouth. And uh, what do you tell me? Because you Let's worked it out by now. Then. <laughs> well, um, Three Lions, Lightning Seeds, and Badil and Skinner, that was correct. Uh, banned in public buildings, smoking, correct. Beyonce, her group, of course, Destiny's Child. So this is the this is the difficult one, isn't it? The 2018 World Cup, where was it held? You said Spain, first of all, then you said Italy, and then you subsequently said France. None of those, I'm afraid. It was, and this is weird looking back, it was in Russia. The 2018 <laughs> World, World Cup. At least um, I was consistent. And, <laughs> and then finally, uh, which festival? Uh, June 1971. Of course, it was Glastonbury. Well done. So, all together, you did that in 46 seconds. 
Don't be silly. But we've got to add a 10-second penalty onto that. So that puts us at 56 seconds. So if we have a look at the leaderboard... The Radio Essentials Leaderboard. You just miss out on the top two, Richard. You're close. You, you're right up there. So Michelle Dignam on 53, uh, Angie Greaves on 55. So you then just slotting at number three on 56 seconds. But you can now officially call yourself the brainiest male radio presenter in the world. You can take that title. Great. Pam, sing that jingle. <laughs> It's with <laughs> Angie Greaves. She'll never work in broadcasting again. <laughs> I, I shall get her back for this. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I, I could happily still be sat here in twelve hours chatting to you um, oh, about sake. radio, but I mean, you've, you've got, you've got prep to do. So, um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, and um, yeah, just thank you for for sharing some fantastic, some fantastic stories and some fa- fantastic thoughts. James, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you for being interested in an old buffoon who um, still manages to get away with it. Radio Essentials is all about providing content and services for radio people. You can check it out at radioessentials.com. Have a look at our brilliant membership options while you're there as well. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Radio Essentials. We'll be back next month where we'll have another guest from the big wide world of radio. We'll see you then. Hey, hey. The Radio Essentials Podcast. Visit Radio Essentials online, radioessentials.com.